and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season four, episode 18, Where the Wild Things Are. Yes, we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're joined this week by Caroline. Yay! Currently in England, home yes. of the Watchers Council and our favorite watcher, Giles. <laughs> That's where they make Gileses. Yes. It is where they make Gileses. Technically Oxford, but I'm not at Oxford. No, I'm in London and um, I'm staying with a friend, Rosemary. We've been friends since we were 11 years old. And she's only, when I told her, I have to take some time to record this Buffy podcast. And she's like, oh, you're a fan? I was like, I guess I never brought it up with her (laughs) because she didn't watch it at the time. Um, And uh, yeah, so like uh, I would, she would not be one of the friends that like I'd bring over to my house for lunchtime to watch my DVDs, for example. (laughs) And um, yeah, like we just, we've been friends the entire time. She's been living on and off in the UK for the last like 15 years. And uh, so we see each other whenever possible and communicate has never come up. But she started watching in 2020 for the first time. Oh. She loves it. She doesn't have the best memory for individual episodes of anything. She, she'd be okay with me saying that. Um, she, so she got like, hmm, where was I when I left off most recently? Um, so like Glory found out that Dawn is the thing. I'm like, the key? Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm like, all right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. Okay. It's just, no, you can tell me. Like, no, 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 no. sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I did invite her. Like, hey, if you want to drop in and say hi, because she's just <laughs> in another room. And she's like, no, no, I can't. It's okay. It's like, I'm not an expert. And I'm like, we won't tell you for anything. I promise. And this is not an expertise thing. And also, it's a very silly episode that I like reminded her of the plot of it. She's like, oh, right, that yeah. one. But when I said like, but I'm there because it's the one where Giles sings. And she's like, yeah. yes. Oh, she remembers that part. Yes. Yeah. You can't forget Everybody about that, that part. Yes. And because she started watching as an adult, she did not have any like time delay in understanding the thirst yeah (laughs) (laughs) that grew like there were people i guess who didn't understand the thirst until this episode somehow i guess like band candy you know that aspect of his persona not really their cup of tea it's not really my cup of tea either i do prefer him with the cardigan with books with the glasses with Mm -hmm. the gentle advice and everything the ripper stuff not because i'm not a bad boy kind of person but if you didn't get it then and you don't get it now, you'll never get it, I guess. Yeah, the best part, one of the best parts about this episode was the fact that only a few days ago, my mother-in-law sent me an article from Rolling Stone where they l- rank every single episode of the series. Uh-huh. And this one, they literally put at 144 as the oh, worst. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess... <laughs> Not that we want to get too far ahead, but I think for a lot of people, the reason why this episode sucks so much is if they really hate the Buffy and Riley ship. If that's like the worst part of the series to you, then I can see how this is the worst episode. They really, they really like, they really weren't into the whole, it's mostly about the way the house is. Here, I'll read, I'll read what they said. Sure. Yes, read us what they say about this episode. So, tonally, one of the strangest episodes in the entire series. Its placement in the season is bizarre. The plot is nonsensical. 
All in all, it's one of the most baffling episodes of television you could watch. Essentially, Buffy and Riley's sexual energy within his frat house awakens the spirits of children who were abused there by the religious head of an orphanage years past. It's dot, dot, dot. A lot. There's also a patch of wall that if you touch, you orgasm, which multiple characters demonstrate. Yeah. Is that unrealistic in some way? (laughs) Would people not try to monetize it, like cut that chunk out of the wall and get get people to pay to touch it? It, Yeah. I mean, this episode is a lot when you put everything together. Mm -hmm. But like it doesn't. That's why I can't hate it. In retrospect, like certainly at the time, there were certain episodes of the first four seasons that like, no, that was the worst one episode. No, uh, to me, it doesn't ruin anything. It doesn't make a character act out of character other than the boning magic. Um, Nobody like shames themselves. I never look at them quite the same way again. I don't feel as though the writers just were trying to make a point and they didn't care what they had to break in order to do it. So that's why no episode of season four will ever be as bad as any episode <laughs> of season seven for me yeah. as a as an OG season seven hater and truther. Um, yeah, I, this is it's fine. You know, I'm not into the Buffy Riley spooning and rolling around in the sheets, man on top, woman on top, man on top, woman on top ad nauseum. But it's fine. <laughs> You know what? That's that's where a lot of them boil down to, like the ones like later, like all like a lot of these are like, it's okay, It's fine. (laughs) It's not funny. It has a lot of good jokes in it, actually. There's a lot of funny moments in this and dramatic ones, too. It doesn't fall flat for me at all. There's some jokes in this that will live me forever and uh, intentionally, like intentionally written that way. Just like bad eggs, just like... um, I don't know, one of those episodes of season one that people think are too cheesy because they weren't there and they don't understand what it was like. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I will defend this episode on that count. Yeah, I'm watching, I'm rewatching X-Files. So <laughs> rewatching season one of that is yeah. is also a, mm-hmm. a fun ride. There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Sub Rosa, where Dr. Crusher has ghost oh, sex. Oh, believe, believe us. We discussed that episode in our friend group. Yeah. A lot. It was a thing. Yeah, exactly. That was a thing. Trying to explain that episode to somebody who has never seen an episode of Star Trek. Yeah. You'd be like, it's and fun. this is like a space show, right? They, they go to space, but she's in like Space Scotland and there's a candle. It's space, it's space Scotland and there's a family candle and yeah. a generational ghost. Yep. And that's apparently fucked every woman in her family for generations. The family, the family fuck ghosts, yep. I think is the way he <laughs> put it. Yeah. This episode of Voyager where the captain turns into a lizard and has sex with one of her officers who was also turned into a lizard thanks to evolution somehow. Uh, there's so many episodes of the original series of wacky sex things. So, yeah, two characters in the whole show having sex with each other a lot for one night. Pretty normal by comparison. <laughs> Okay, so while we set up that. (laughs) Where the Wild Things Are, it aired April 25th, 2000. 
Everybody probably recognizes the title from the 1963 book by Maurice Sendik. While the plot is vastly different, uh, both the book and this episode feature a jungle of sorts that grows inside. Our synopsis is Riley's frat house is possessed by a demonic force that feeds on the passion generated between him and Buffy and traps them without their knowledge. The couple are too lost in the haze of their heightened emotion to notice the danger they're in. What are our international titles? All right. We got quite a few this week. Armenian, we have Where the Wild Where Wild Things Happen. Czech, Where the Wilderness Lives. Finnish, Insatiable Love. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> French, The Haunted House. German, the insatiables. There's something about that word. I, the insatiable sounds like a porn parody of The Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hungarian, where the wicked are. Italian, the haunted house. Japanese, wild thing. Polish, where wildness slumbers. I like that one. Portuguese, where the madness happens. I like that too. Russian, where wild things happen. Spanish from Latin America is ecstasy. And Spanish from Spain, wild passion. I think I like uh, where the madness happens. I think the title should be, if you have sex, you will die. You'll get pregnant and you die? Well, not the pregnant part, but... Yeah. Yeah, because the condoms. I do like... I, I Yeah, well, we can talk about that. I like where wildness slumbers. But don't was stupid too. in this episode. But the wildness was sleeping until... I guess so. Yeah, apparently <laughs> this thing has been lying in wait, this psychic force, until enough screwing happened. Like, all those Which, other frat boys for the last 40 no, we're years... Gonna, we're going to talk about this, because all this right. was my biggest problem with this episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll get there. All right. Um, we do have a brief previously on this week, highlighting the three main couples and their more intimate moments. <laughs> Then we're off to the cemetery where Buffy is going to town on a demon and his vampire buddy along with Riley, who is doing pretty well, actually. Buffy even takes a moment while loading the crossbow to appreciate how well he's doing and how good he looks doing it. She goes to dust said vamp, but his demon buddy tags in, and so Riley and Buffy must once again divide their efforts, him taking Fang and her taking Horny. (laughs) She realizes how that sounds the moment she says it. They do manage to take out said demon and said vamp, Buffy marveling over their sense of cooperation. Riley says he's never seen that before, and Buffy says that's because it never happens. Vampires hate demons and vice versa. Okay, but what about the judge and the Order of Taraka and the feral demon spikes that he employed? And the chaos demon Drew ran away with, and the half demon that works for Angel, and Lauren, his demon buddy. So well, I don't to really be think Buffy's done her homework on this. I was gonna say, to be fair, a lot of those are things that Buffy doesn't know about. Some of half, like half of them are yes, the judge and things like that. But the judge owes it to those vampires for putting them back together. Yeah, and he wants he doesn't like that they're impure because of their stink of humanity. And uh, feral demons sound like they're too stupid to do anything else but be minions. Um, yeah, some of these, and, and some of the demons are nice, like Lorne. We love Lorne. She's met Doyle at this point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, it's sometimes, some things are some things are difficult to remember too, because we're not watching Angel while. Yeah. 
we're yeah. doing this, but mm-hmm. but hey, yeah, plot. The two are clearly hot and bothered, and though they say they should go report to Giles, they just end up in Riley's room having sex, like they will be doing for the rest of the episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> did Bucky. we like? Did was did they not have like was Sarah Michelle Gellar or something like doing other things? Yes. Where yes, okay, she was she was for uh, this was when she was still filming Angel. She was filming Sanctuary. Okay. So they had to they had to get rid of her for most okay. of the episode. Okay. So all right. So this was while she was Yeah. Like she doesn't okay. change her hairstyle. She's it's it's a wacky episode, that is true. Hence the the crimpy curly hair. But then also she's just rolling rod in bed the whole time. So yeah. I don't need like a day, two days on set, that's it. Yeah. And you could just film yeah, most of that you could just film mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. We're starting to see sweaters like huge sweaters in fight scenes for Sophia Crawford to look more like the very, very slender Sarah Michelle Gellar. Not as necessary in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. And they will continue for the rest of the series. Big old sweaters. Yeah. And there's a reason why Sophia Crawford couldn't do it eventually because she could not be that thin and still kick that much ass. Yeah. Without superpowers. Yeah. Credits. Still awesome. We return from the credits to Riley's frat house, Buffy's sleeping when Riley gets up to pee, or because he hears something. It's hard to tell. He does head to the bathroom, though, slowly and with the kind of background music that 10,000% plays on my anxiety. (laughs) It's like that classic (laughs) haunted house background music with slow pans. Yeah. (laughs) They play it in South Park, too. Yeah, and it's like it's like the slow pans that have you like expecting something to just pop out in the background yeah. in any moment. But no, it's it's all very anticlimactic with yeah. Riley turning off a dripping faucet before we go to the mean streets of Sunnydale mm-hmm. and the ice cream truck that Xander <laughs> is currently driving. <laughs> he tells Anya about the party happening at Riley's and says it should be a blast. Anya is unconvinced. Besides, the initiative guys make her nervous. Xander tells her they have no way of knowing she's an ex-demon. And even if they did, they'll be too busy getting their flirt on to care. So she's not desirable? Is that <laughs> why they didn't have sex last night? Because he finds her unattractive? No, absolutely not. Xander thinks she's gorgeous. Besides, they've gone other nights without sex. She knows. Two of them. She can't <laughs> believe they're breaking up. What? Xander explains to Anya that there is more to relationships than sex. It's about two people working through things together. Anya then asks if there's something wrong with his body and mentions the erectile dysfunction commercial she saw on the television. (laughs) Okay, no, no. Everything with him is working just fine, thanks. She wants sex? Fine. They'll have sex. Hot, steamy sex. Right there. He begins to unbutton his shirt before remembering just where they are. They both turn and there's a line of children and parents just staring at him. <laughs> oh, see, that's why I can't hate this episode. It's got gags like that. And I mean, okay, so once again, we have Xander being mature, being mm-hmm. understanding, explaining to Anya how he loves her and love is more than physical. But mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Xander's a piece of garbage. Thank exactly. You. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, we have an episode where Xander wants more than just sex. He's not constantly thinking about sex. He wants a relationship. He does want to talk. He wants to have things in common with her. She is right that they don't have anything in common other than both of them liking his penis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Anya's got to find herself a life outside of Xander. Then they'd have more stuff to talk about. 
instead of hanging out in his basement of sadness all the time. Yeah, and he yeah. he is trying to make sure she knows that he does care about her and that, yeah, yeah it isn't all about sex and mm-hmm. that there is more to it. Yeah. And her, like, she's, she's coming from the perspective of being alive for centuries and seeing how relationships with men go. So you can get, understand why she's scared. But he's he's never given her any reason why she should be afraid that they're breaking up just yeah. because they haven't they don't they don't have crazy sex every night. <laughs> yeah. And Anya, the thing is, he's probably tired some nights from yeah. working. And I, I understand why she doesn't work, because she probably does has zero documentation to <laughs> being a person. Um, there are probably some like under the table for cash jobs she could get. Yeah. But it's time to ask Willow to magic up some birth certificates. Like she's got documents in time for checkpoint when they're trying to fool the Watchers Council. And, you know, Giles is not asking to see her social insurance number or anything like that. But yeah, it's it's uh, only one of you is working in this relationship and you've got more energy for sex and more time to whine about it when it's not happening. And she she must have gotten a, at least some form of ID because later on in this episode, she's holding a beer. I figured Spike bought that for her. Oh, yeah, that could be yeah. money for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, because I still love that when she's trying yes. to buy a beer and <laughs> they're carding her and she... Yeah, I'm like 120 years old. Just give me a freaking beer. In the lounge area of the dorm, Riley, Buffy, Tara, and Willa talk with Giles. He too is mystified by the buddy-buddiness of the demon slash vampire partnership, even though he just experienced one when he was a demon. Sometimes I think this show is about a group of amnesia victims. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's that episode, it's that episode of Gravity Falls where they erase their memories. Or, you know, Sailor Moon, where at the end of every season, they erase their memories. Yeah. That was very confusing as a kid watching the end of that first Nelvana dubbed season, where, like, suddenly everybody didn't know each other. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought, did we just lose all that character development for some reason? It was the beginning of madness for me about television shows. <laughs> so our favorite part of the whole Sailor Moon thing was when they meet as Sailor Scouts, like when they meet Venus and then like they meet as their regular people. Yeah. And there's the line that's like, we all look different outside of our scout uniforms. And I'm like, you literally uh, just changed your the skirts clothes. Were slightly longer. And some of you have sleeves now. That is the like, only difference. <laughs> besides like a couple of accessories. It's not like they change hair color. <laughs> oh, <sighs> God. Yeah, I, I will go again with Giles wasn't really a demon. Fiarls are minions. And maybe what's baffling to the gang is the fact that the vampire and the demon didn't seem to have a hierarchy. They really were teamed up and not like, go and do my bidding. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Appreciation <sighs> for the fact that Buffy did want to tell Giles last night about what was happening. There is a thing called a phone. You don't need to go to his house, knock on the door, mid-make out with Riley, going, yeah, mm, Giles, mm, there's a demon, mm, vampire, something like that. Just just oh, get on the phone. Leave him a message. Poor, poor Giles, though. Yeah, but at least they're meeting up with him. And also, notice how Tara, fully integrated in the group, uh, maybe the Jonathan spell helped somehow. Like, I know mm-hmm. she helped, obviously, at the end of uh, who, who Are You? But now she's in on all the Scooby meetings. I like it. Yep. Willow wonders what could have caused this sense of togetherness, and Riley says, not what, who? Adam? It makes sense to Buffy. Who better to bring together a bunch of demony types than someone made up of a bunch of demony types? 
Tara says he's bridging the gap between the races. Mm. And Willow agrees, like Martin Luther King. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, Giles gives her. (laughs) Adam said he had a dream. Yeah. And then her, like, sheepish little, like, what? Look in response. As they're talking, Riley and Buffy are making with the handsy, touching each other as much as possible. Giles tells them to concentrate their patrol in the same area and see if they run into anything else notable. They say they will, and Riley tells the group he'll let the squad know as well. They'll make sure there's a reserve team out during the party. Party? What party? Tomorrow night. Riley's house is doing a thing. At a time like this, whose idea was that? Riley's. The guys are riled up. They need to blow off steam. Giles is welcome to come. (laughs) As much as the idea of a frat party sounds like something Giles would absolutely hate to do. He sadly has other plans. At the espresso pump. What's he doing there? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) It's just... A gathering of grown-ups, something they would surely have no interest in. It sounds like he's going to AA, <laughs> like or or, or a um, we're like speed dating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, something, right? some, yeah, like something like that. Yeah, because it's a meeting of grown-ups, and Olivia's mm. not in town anymore. Um, like, if he were on a date, he probably would not tell them where he's going. Because every time he was on a date with Miss Calendar, he was interrupted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, but I do find it interesting that it's Tara who asks him, where are you going? And he does tell her right away. And they mm-hmm. barely know each other. It kind of almost feels to me like he wouldn't be that mad if they found out what his deep, dark secret is. Um, that he can't tell them because he's like too shy about it. He's not inviting them, but if they did need to find him and happen to walk in, much like what actually happens, oh good, the secret's out. I don't have to keep it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, he he knows that they, yeah, he might be needed at some point, and this is the days before everybody had cell phones. Yeah. So he, you know, he's like, okay. in Sunnydale will get interrupted by supernatural evil. Yes. That is, he knows this. He knows that his children are going to a party and he (laughs) needs them to know where he can be found if he needs, if he needs to, they need their help. He's not just being Mr. Uptight, stuffy grown up. You can't have fun. He knows what happens in this town. You, oh, yeah. you can't have fun without something bad happening. Exactly. And I do love I do love that Tara was the one that asked mm-hmm. because everybody else, they've been around him for so long. They're like, oh, yeah. Giles is going to just be Giles. And yeah, Giles has no social life. Like, no, no. Giles, your life is to be our dad. What, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like when you find out that you're you find out that your parents like to have fun. Yeah. Like, oh, you've got friends. What do you need those for? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so Tara, for her, she still calls him Mr. Giles for a mm-hmm. very long time. And, like, definitely, they must have said to her, like, don't, no, he's just Giles, come on. Like, Buffy knows Giles for six hours, maybe, before she's just calling him Giles. Not even. It's, like, the afternoon that she meets yeah. him after the first time they met. It's, like, Giles right away. And Tara, growing up in the South, in a religious, fundamentalist, conservative, mm-hmm. lying home which definitely comes out in this episode uh would still be like sir to an older man and Giles is always so very gentle with her and very kind to her and everything and uh I just wish there were more scenes together with them yeah Riley then tells Buffy to look at the time doesn't she have a class yeah in about 20 minutes right but he has that thing the thing he needs to handle before her class right right 
They bid everyone else farewell, and Willow says they're probably going to go. Giles knows what they're going to go do. Yeah. Willow doesn't need to announce it. Also, he was once a college boy in the Mesozoic. In the Mesozoic era, yeah. <laughs> yes, people. Giles is never confused, and he's never asking for information about this. If he wanted to know, he would ask. But like we said, no. Everything, everything Giles learns is against his will. Yep, he's not. He doesn't want visuals. Accidentally, he doesn't want to picture it. That night at the frat, Forrest and Graham walk about, complaining about how cold it is in there. And after they just got the furnace fixed, as they head down to the first floor, they pass by Riley's room and hear Buffy and Riley just going at it. <laughs> Downstairs, another one of the brothers, Mason, is building the fire. He says he's been at it for an hour, but the house is still an icebox. Graham tells him not to worry. They've got a couple of heat generators upstairs. Mason takes a seat by the fire and Buffy and Riley continue to go at it. As they reach climax, so does the fire, <laughs> roaring out of the fireplace and setting Mason ablaze. Forrest quickly grabs a banner from the wall and rushes to put him out. Heading to the bronze, Anya runs into Spike when he jumps out of the shadows to scare her. Seeing it's her, however, he lets the gur face drop. What's he doing? He made her scream really high. He did, didn't he? He scared her. Give him her money. What? No. She's not paying him for scaring her. She's not. He's robbing her. No. He can't hurt her. And she likes her money how it is. With her. He advances again and she points out that he's not even bumpy anymore. (laughs) Feeling his face to confirm it, he says, give him a moment. That's when Anya asks if this really works. Scaring people into giving him their money? It does, yeah. It keeps them in blood and beers. Plus, it's fun watching the humans scatter. Anya is beginning to see why he doesn't have any friends. <laughs> Look at her. He doesn't see Droopy Boy on her arm. Better things to do. Which is when we return to the frat and the party. Buffy stands talking with Xander, Willow, and Tara, while Riley stands talking with Forrest and Graham. But neither of them are actually paying attention to the conversations. They're just making googly eyes at each other and having eye sacks from across the room. (sighs) We, who are paying attention, however, learn that Mason requested to go on patrol after having his eyebrows burned off. (laughs) (laughs) And Xander and Anya had a fight following the ice cream truck incident. Also, Willow spilled something purplish on Buffy's new peasant blouse, which she borrowed without asking. Good thing Buffy's distracted. Xander says he's really glad Anya no longer has her powers. Anya, she misses those powers. And she tells Spike so as they drink together. Spike totally understands. Says you take the killing for granted. And then when it's gone, you wish you had savored it more. Stopped and smelled the corpses. Anya says now everything is complicated. First comes love, then sex, then vengeance. Spike says he's been there. The love always ends badly. Of course it does. She's seen it happen thousands of times. Spike says maybe they should just do it. Have their vengeance. She can eviscerate Xander and he'll stake Drew. Anya doesn't know. He could do Drew though. He will. Eventually. Hard to track down a vampire, I think. Because, you know, they don't have cell phones. Maybe he can track her scent somehow. So this is something I I wish we had kind of seen more of. Um, the two of them bonding over their change in status. Mm-hmm. The talking as like the two members of the Scoobies who have been around for a bit. Seeing the world who and how were, it changed. Who are, who are or were supernatural. Yeah, because I think it would have added a layer to what happens following Hell's Bells. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's a good start here. And if we had continued to establish a pattern of them seeking this companionship in each other from time to time, mm-hmm. their eventual sleeping together would have made all the sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Anya is the only person Spike knows, at least currently in his life, who is older than him. Uh, she's 800 years older than him. No, she's a thousand years older than him. And, um,. You know, there's things that they both remember about the Industrial Revolution that nobody else does. Yeah. Uh, and they both know Cecily. That is true. They don't discover that for a very long time. Um, but I think Anya would have to be taken seriously as not just a joke character, as she is for pretty much all of season four. Mm-hmm. It's not until season five, well into it, that we start to feel any empathy for her. Because right now she is talking about missing the maiming and the torturing and the pain and the ow, ow, it hurts me. She does say she doesn't actually really want to kill Xander. That's 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 good for her. But we're growing. Back at the party, some douchebag is trying to impress a girl with his musings on language and how language tastes. <laughs> when he puts oh, his God. hand on a nearby wall, experiencing an instant orgasmic sensation. As he continues to lean there, it continues to happen, and the girl says he really likes French. <laughs> and if that douchebag looks familiar, it's because it's Roy. He was one of the guys turned into a caveman during beer bad. Obviously, yeah. did not learn his lesson. Nope. No. Still being one of those, how do you like them apples guys from Goodwill Hunting? God, I hate, I hate college guys like that. I remember in a, my freshman English class, uh, we had to read Head a Gabbler and this very good looking young man, he was talking with some of us after class and he's like, yeah, I do all those same things that she did. And I'm like, because you're like a little bored in your new marriage you're just gonna like ruin people's lives and be a total bitch and he's like yeah like if i can you know i'm like standing up against society's repressions and everything he, uh, I think he was trying to be a feminist in his own way uh, yeah 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 <sighs> not a fan of hedda gabbler here <laughs> xander meanwhile has decided to chat up a girl near the trophy case and it's going remarkably well And she finds him to be funny in a charming sort of way. She asks who he's there with, and he very smoothly tells her that at this moment, he appears to be there with her. Which I'm like, go Xander! But Mm -hmm. also like, bad Xander! You have a girlfriend! Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is one of those moments where you can argue that he's being a heel. But he was doing a really good job at this moment. Yeah, good job. And he's going to redeem himself in a few minutes, but like, he's he's doing a good job. And, you know, flirting's not the same thing as cheating. Later on, when she full on, well, it's another episode where Xander gets sexually assaulted and he goes, whoa, 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 no, please don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't want instant sexy times with the person I just met and I just kind of sort of broke up with my girlfriend and I like to have a conversation and emotional connection first before we get down to the sexy times. Yeah. Uh, again, that's very in character for Xander. Yeah. And that what like the moment when the, when they're looking at the trophy case, like that is a great connection mm-hmm. moment that you're having with yeah, a person yeah. and kind of breaking the ice and tension. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is a yes, it's another example of him being assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. And like his flirtation is not, you know, I like that outfit. I like the even better on my bedroom floor. Yeah. It's not like sexual kind of flirting. No. It's like teasy 
banter. banter. Yeah. Yeah. Now, finally approaching Riley, Buffy says she needs him to uh, look over an essay for <clears throat> class. An essay. Right. Riley hands his drink to Forrest and says, they'll be right back. Essay. As they disappear up the steps, Graham shakes his head. And he's the one who got a D in covert ops. What? No, Graham, my precious baby. <laughs> I like how they also are apparently getting grades for the initiative. <laughs> <laughs> well, was Professor running it? Yeah. It's a way to keep everybody like on their toes. Of, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a bad grade from Army. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, in in the army, like when you are in like the actual academy, you know, you are getting grades and it is learning. Yeah. Back at the orgasm wall, the first guy calls to another telling him he has to try it out, which he does. And yeah, it's a thing. Willow and Tara sit on the steps talking about horses. We learn that Tara has been riding ever since she was small, but that Willow had a bad pony party experience. And now when she looks at horses, she just sees really tall ponies. Tara tells her to come riding with her. She promises to keep her safe. Well, if she promises, Willow goes to lay her hand on Tara's leg and Tara freaks out, telling Willow not to touch her, that it's disgusting. Willow doesn't understand and it seems neither does Tara she asks if she's okay and Tara says she just she needs to go to the bathroom which is when Spike and Anya arrive (laughs) Spike not realizing until they're inside that Anya brought him to initiative headquarters (laughs) the house under which he was kept (laughs) and she knows all of this because she states exactly what you said Mm mm-hmm Xander sees them and hurries over. What is he doing there? Spike would like to know the same thing. Xander tells her they had a fight. So what? It means they just need to work through some things, not rebound with the evil undead. (laughs) Spike is quite amused. Look who's all puffed up and possessive now. Not very convincing, is it, though? He sees what Anya meant about the no follow through. Hey, Xander isn't loving that they were discussing him. And so he offers Hostel 17 a drink. Does Hostel 17 want anything? When no one seems to come running, Spike shrugs. Maybe there is fun to be had in the lion's den. He heads off to find liquor, leaving them to their discussion. Xander tells Anya their fight was no big deal. It's normal. She knows it's a normal part of dating right before the heartbreak and vengeance. What? No! And especially no vengeance. (laughs) Whatever. She's not going to do it. She can't. All she's saying is that they have nothing in common except them both liking his penis. And right now they don't even have that. So she's leaving. (laughs) No. No, she's not. Because Xander has put up with a lot. Most of which was in the last few minutes. So he's leaving. He's leaving? Where's he going? To enjoy the party. Well, then she's staying too. So he can see how much fun she's having. Oh, he's already having fun. Her too. Woohoo! <laughs> the way she just, the uh, way she does the woohoo. The delivery. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, Emma, Emma is fantastic with, with Anya. Like, mm-hmm how awkward Anya is and that she doesn't really know how to act as a human. It's, it's, it's delightful. 
So uh, Xander referring to Spike as the evil undead is a play on the evil dead, Mm -hmm. um, a horror movie franchise by Ted Raimi and starring Bruce Campbell. Campbell's character, Ash, has become something of a pop culture icon over the years. Oh, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Ted is... Sam. Ted is Joxer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Just about any like jocks are, and I'm like, no. It's whole, it, it would be a whole. Other, it would be a whole other thing if Ted was the one in charge of it. It's like us, um, James Gunn and Sean Gunn. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. like to me, they kind of meld together, despite me knowing more of what the actor looks like. Yeah. Yes, I, I am once again asking the costume department. Uh, have a little note here to not put poor Tara in baggy skater trousers that. Don't do anything for her figure and dark green clothes with brownish undertones that completely wash her out and muddy her complexion. (laughs) But also, did anyone notice that she and Xander are dressed kind of similarly for the party, like in kind of almost camo gear? And they both have these short green necklaces with like small beads very close around the neck. Maybe it's like a deliberate parallel of Willow's past and current love interests. And she's kind of struggling and, um, yeah, Tara is the one who reacts very badly to the the mojo in the house. None of the other Scoobies are affected except for Buffy. Um, maybe because Tara has the most she's repressing. Could be. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. like Anya and, Anya and Xander, they've been doing it like crazy for a very <laughs> long time at this point. At least in teenage years. And Willow was doing it for a while, but she seems to be... She hasn't put a label on anything yet. We're we're seeing a lot of like magic spells, but it's not certain how literal the sex has been. I don't think it's literal until the next episode. Um, I think they're they're not talking aloud about their feelings. Anya and Xander talking about their feelings all the time. There is <laughs> no filter on either one of them. They're saying exactly what they think. They're out in the open about their relationship, even yelling about it in public. Yes, but, in front of children. Yes, exactly. Buffy and Riley, they are somehow over their issues from the last episode, uh, or at least it's being buried. Um, as as Xander puts it in Dead Man's Party, you can't just bury the stuff, Buffy, as a way of coming back and out of the ground and biting you on the ass. I'm paraphrasing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's only the people that are having some sexual issues and not talking. They're the ones that are seriously affected mentally by the house. It's a good read on it. Xander wanders into the back room where a game of spin the bottle is happening. Huh. Sometimes he just doesn't get the sophisticated college life. (laughs) He then sees the girl he was chatting up earlier is playing and that she's motioning for him to sit. And so he does, cracking a joke about how good it is mom is out or else they'd be in trouble. Spike sitting in a chair, drinking, when the guy across from him says he looks familiar. Yeah, he gets that a lot. (laughs) He's just a friend of Xander's. Xanders. (laughs) Xanders. <laughs> Julie, the girl from earlier, spins the bottle and it lands on Xander. He looks around to make sure Anya isn't anywhere around and then moves forward, giving Julie a quick peck on the cheek because all he really wants is to be kissing Anya. Julie, however, like we said, attacks him with her mouth and pushes him up against a nearby sofa, kissing him aggressively. 
When he gets her off, she murmurs a horrified sorry and flees. He follows, passing by the orgasm wall, and then hears her sobbing <laughs> in the closet, muttering, I'm bad, as she takes a knife to her chair, hair, chopping it off. Julie is played by Casey McCarthy. She's done a few other things, such as the 2003 Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, CSI, Law and & Order, and as I'm sure Froggy knows, she was in Justified. Yep. She played Gretchen Swift. Mm-hmm. That's... Exactly where I recognized her from when I looked it up. <laughs> Upstairs, Willow goes to check on Tara in the bathroom. She knocks, and when she gets no answer, she just goes in. The bathroom seems to be empty, and so she turns on the water, splashing her face. When she comes up, she thinks she hears something coming from the tub, and so she goes to look. What she finds is a boy struggling, drowning. But when she goes to help him, he vanishes. She turns to leave to find the others, and there he is, wet, blue, dead. She screams, which causes Buffy and Riley to momentarily stop kissing. Was that Willow? Buffy says she doesn't know, and it doesn't really matter. She goes back to the kissing, and we go back downstairs, where Xander is trying to figure out if any of the other people playing Spin the Bottle are friends with Julie, because she is freaking out. (laughs) Willow comes running down the stairs, finds him, and tells him about the ghost boy. Ghost boy? Is every frat on this campus haunted? And if so, <laughs> why do people keep coming to these parties? Why do people keep moving to Sunnydale? Why do people stay in Sunnydale? The real estate market must be insanely good. You know what? I've I've always known from from way back that nothing good happens at a frat house. But this is also like a good question, Xander. And it's like one I kept asking, though not in the same way. Because like the other party got all supernatural because they accidentally summoned a demon. But this one, this is clearly not the first party this house has hosted. (laughs) Riley and Buffy are absolutely not the first couple to go at it like bunnies. Mm -hmm. They can't be. This is a college fraternity. (laughs) So why now? Why hasn't any of this happened before? Why wouldn't this happen every party? Like this makes, this, this plot point makes absolutely no sense. No sense yeah. whatsoever. I feel like I, I misremembered in the past that it took place at a different frat house that, you know, it's still the initiative hosting it, but they did it in a different place. But it's not. It is the one we've been in a couple of times at this point. Mm-hmm. I guess the only explanation is that it's because this the Slayer involved. That should be made a little more explicit, I think, that this is the first time a supernatural chosen one person who gets hungry and horny after killing is the battery operating it. So yes, they should have probably said that. Tara finds them and Willow asks if she's okay. She's fine, but there's something about the house. She doesn't like it. Willow agrees. And as they all turn to go, they see the spin the bottle turn faster and faster and faster and faster until it explodes, hitting all the players with shards of glass. Right. Time to get Buffy. (laughs) So they run upstairs and bang on Riley's door, but vines start to grow, stopping them. Buffy and Riley remain isolated on their own little sex planet, (laughs) unaware of the stuff going on in the house. The others keep calling for them as Tara drifts towards the upstairs railing. As she looks down on the party below, an earthquake starts, the whole house shaking. Spike seems to think this means the party is livening up. But as he says that, the chair he's in seems to take him hostage, straps appearing over his arms, legs, chest, and mouth. Graham is frozen in the hallway, and when Forrest reaches him, Graham just starts spouting scripture, talking about (laughs) impure things. 
Right. Forrest turns him towards the secret spy elevator, initiates the rental scan, and then pushes him in said elevator. Anya, meanwhile, encounters a ghost as the shaking stops and she turns to look down the hallway. That's when she sees the girl running, running towards and through her. She looks around, trying to make sense of it all when the shaking starts anew. Willow, Xander, and Tara all making their way down the stairs as it does so. Spike manages to free himself, and he and the Scoobies, along with Julie, who Xander rescues when she stumbles out of the closet crying and asking God to help her, (laughs) manages to flee the house. Down at Initiative HQ, things are hopping. Scientists sitting in front of control panels trying to make sense of what all is occurring. Forrest says there's a disembodied presence in the house, and they seem to know it because they tell Forrest and Graham to lock it down. Though we will never see them for the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're told to go do a thing and we never see the thing. Outside, the group regathers and Xander says they need to go back in. Anya wants to know why. Because Buffy and Riley are trapped in there. So, she's the Slayer. He's a big soldier type. They'll be fine. (laughs) Xander's not going to take that chance. His friend is trapped in a haunted house. And so he's going back in and he's not coming out until he knows she's safe. So who's with him? Anya, Willow, Tara, they all remain silent. But Spike says he'll go. He knows he's not usually the first volunteer for heroics. And yeah, Buffy's tried to kill him a bunch of times. And he really doesn't fancy any of them. But no, wait, hold on. That all sounds rather convincing. And so he leaves, wondering if some (laughs) restaurant or another is still open. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, classic Spike moment. Uh, Yeah, and again, Xander's the dick. Xander, the one who wants to go back in against all the vines and the two witches are like, oh, we might get killed. And he does not care. And Anya, well. It drives me crazy. Because here's, like, again, Xander, first to volunteer. Going back in there, saving mm-hmm. my friend, head first yep. into danger. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, boo, Xander. <laughs> yeah, as Xander puts it, that's me always doing the stupid thing. As, or as he says about Anya in the last episode, that's my girl always doing the stupid thing. Not necessarily then, but by season seven, yes. So again, character growth. I appreciate that. But not really building up a lot of empathy for me, from me for Anya at this point that she still doesn't give two shits about anybody else but Xander. And if they're not having sex, she doesn't give two shits about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know. I wish that the humanizing of Anya had taken place earlier. As we've said before, where does she live before she shacked up with Xander? What has she been doing to survive? Did she have a bank account secretly she could access? Who knows? Yeah. And she even says in this episode to Spike that she likes having her money. Yeah. But it's Xander's money. Yeah. As he's pointed out earlier when he was selling those awful bars that Giles said, please get out of my house. Uh, the only reason he was selling them is so that she could have money. Like, I mm-hmm. need to buy you pretty things. And then she's like, well, get out there and start selling more. I need pretty things. Yeah. 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 But Xander's the worst one. Xander's the worst one. Yeah. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who make it their mission to interpret every single thing he does in the most bad faith possible is, well, he's clearly upset she's boinking another guy and he's trying to interrupt it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like I've said, if we would ever have a Facebook group for this podcast, discussions of Xander are completely forbidden. Yeah. It's like, was he in the episode? Let's pretend not. (laughs) Yeah. Like, or or like we can talk, we can like. Yeah, it's like Xander is off limits because there is just no way that there's some people that you just cannot talk to them about Xander without him being the and you can't even give your opinion on how Xander isn't that bad. 
yeah without just, being told that you're wrong like yeah, it's, it's just, just one of those no one can no side can convince the other to move even slightly yeah and even no matter how many good points that you make about him being a, a he's a human yeah it's just like no we we but then again, anybody who doesn't like Xander probably doesn't like us as a <laughs> podcast. So, you know. This is true. Yeah. The house, however, is apparently possessed by the spirit of the Buffy fandom. And so fling Xander back outside all not today, Satan. Which is when Xander says, yeah, it might be watcher time. <laughs> they can go to Giles. Tara reminds Willow that Giles isn't home. He has that thing at the espresso pump. That grown-up thing. <laughs> which we're gonna get to in a second um maintain but wait oh that's why it doesn't make sense to me because we started talking about xander before i got to the part where xander mentions felicity oh i'm okay. talking about how julie yeah. went off felicity on her hair because i was like why am i about to explain felicity but we i cut myself off before that line so yeah xander says that like julie's going off felicity on her hair and so, okay, Felicity was a drama series starring Carrie Russell, now of political thriller fame, having done both The Americans and now The Diplomat. It aired on the WB from 1998 to 2002. The whole premise behind it was that it followed the college experience of the main character, Felicity Porter, as she attended the University of New York, which was all the way across country from her home in Palo Alto, California. Four seasons, four years of college. And of course, one of the most well-known moments from the series is Felicity cutting her hair. But there is a lot of drama wrapped up in that. People freaked. No, 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 no. So Carrie Russell, after the show, became known for her hair. (laughs) And they just, they talked about her having this like halo of hair. Mm Mm-hmm. And wanting to play a joke on the producers, she sent them a picture of her in a short wig. And they freaked out. But then, after some thought, decided maybe a shorter look wouldn't be bad. So I guess they tried that first. Carrie cut her hair and they used a slightly shorter wig. So just then, like shoulder length? I I guess. Okay. Because her hair was um, very long, like in the beginning of the show. I only watched like the odd episode here and there. But I, I, I was there for the haircut. And it was the most important haircut in television history, possibly. Mm-hmm. Besides the Rachel. But the, the hair she had before that was not significant because she like started the show with the Rachel. So then, so after they decided to, I guess, put her in shorter hair, they moved the show from Tuesdays to Sundays, which the Sunday was the weakest night on the WB. And then ratings dropped. And somehow the press tried to link them, saying that the rating drop was due to the fact that, like, Carrie changed her hair. Mm -hmm. And, like, the whole thing got conflated. And so Carrie flat out refused to wear wigs or extensions until her hair grew back. She was like, well, fuck you. And that's how we got Felicity's super short hair. Because Carrie Russell was like, no, no. And so, refused to wear extensions or wigs. Yeah, I'm a, people I'm a were confused about the timeline here. So she really did cut it like close to her head, like Audrey Hepburn short, and then wore a wig on TV. And then when they people claimed that the ratings dropped because she had slightly shorter hair, like shoulder length, she took the wig off, and it was a plot point that she shaved the whole thing. So hold, on. that's what it sounded like. Hold on. So now I'm I'm looking at an article. Okay, where were you when Felicity Porter cut her hair? 
<laughs> um, so I'm trying to find the part where like Carrie actually talks about it. Um, the way it all totally went down was there were was they were wrapping up the first season and the hair people were putting away everything they had into boxes. And there was a little boy's wig. Russell explained, we put it on me at like two in the morning as a joke. And we took a Polaroid and over the summer, we thought it would be really funny to send to. Oh, so yeah, here's the other thing. Do you know who made Felicity? JJ Abrams. Yeah. Does that explain everything? Yeah. That he's Mr. Setup. With no follow through. Mm-hmm. That all also, it's like Carrie Russell randomly showed up in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. yeah. There's that too of like, why do I recognize this voice of this helmeted person? Yeah. Uh, so the way I can say J.J. Abrams is like the cool dad. He impregnates the mom. He's there at the beginning. And then he comes <laughs> off to start a new family. And he's like, I'll see you around, kid. I'll take you fishing. And once in a while, dad shows up again in a cool car with a hot girlfriend and you think he's going to take you fishing. He was like, sorry, pal. Work's been busy. I'll catch you later. And that's what happens with everything that he makes. He gets interested and he shows you the mystery box. And he promises to open the mystery box. It's going to be super cool inside. You just have to hold out a little longer. But somebody else has taken over again. Serious stepdad who is no fun and is going to like make everything even crazier than it was before. But he's... JJ has no secret to the mystery box. He has not come up with the answer. Somebody else has to come up with it. Yeah. So what, yeah, what they were saying is, yeah, they filmed her having her haircut on the show and she still got the blame for it, even though JJ was the one that they decided to do it. So I was with my girlfriends at some lake and I got this phone call and JJ said, Hey, we got your picture. No laughing, no nothing. Would you really cut your hair? And I was like, I guess. As for how the actual act of cutting her hair went down, Russell did actually begin the process on camera, which was used as the ending of the episode with viewers being forced to wait with bated breath to see the final look the following week. What a Um, (laughs) cliffhanger. So apparently Scott Speedman was not the best about it and they were actually dating at the time. Yep. And he says he'd been such a disaster of a boyfriend and I knew I had to put on a good show when I was going to see her haircut. And I was like, come on, man, you got to bring it home. You got to do it. And I got to work and she turned around a corner and my face sort of frozen, half panic, half smile situation. It was a Chia head sort of vibe to it. Oh, <laughs> he no. did follow up and clarify. It did turn into something great. We all recovered from it. <laughs> <laughs> Recovery. And like, yeah, then they go on to talk about like the backlash and how like um, Russell took part in the last, last night with Seth Meyers sketch in 2016 that had celebrities offer advice to their younger selves and a message to my younger self. Your life is going to be so exciting, but whatever you do, don't cut your hair short <laughs> during the second season of Felicity, she said. <laughs> no, I'm serious. People will freak the hell out. You'll get hate mail. You'll even get death threats. Yeah. Oh yeah. People like, Freaked it was, the fuck it out. was crazy, but like, yeah, she, even though she was getting all this hate mail and death threats, she refused to wear extensions or wigs until her hair grew back. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes more sense. Yeah. I, I just, you would not believe how important this hair was. You'd think that like the president would have to intervene and order her to like glue the bits of her shorn head back on. Yeah. Because the nation would fall without Felicity's hair. It was... Yeah, it was yep. dramatic. Yep. I didn't watch Felicity. I didn't either. I didn't watch it enough to 
give that much of a shit. I just, it's, it helped me recognize some people then in Alias and Fringe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Other stuff that he did. Speaking of J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Like, I love Carrie Russell, and it's probably something that I should, like, watch now just to be like, this is very cringy and early, like. Yeah. Because, again, like, the whole premise, like, they say it was like, well, you know, she does, like, she, it's her college life. But the whole point is, like, she follows this dude. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. To college, like the the premise is not. Oh yeah, great. I I remember watching the pilot episode and thinking like, what kind of Little Mermaid shit is this? Where this in she's like the valedictorian of her high school. She has like scholarships to all these Californian schools. I think she's going to go to Stanford. This guy who has never talked to her is like, mm-hmm. hey, sorry we didn't get to know each other better the last four years. I'm going to you and NYU, and she's like. So am I. And then she's got to like change all of her plans in June and move over there instead because he might talk to her again. He no d- might. No dick is that good. <laughs> no dick that you ne- you don't even know what it looks like in shorts. <laughs> You've never so- been physically close to him. And then when she's at the school, she's in pre-med and she decides suddenly to become like become a full-time art student. Yeah, just like on a whim in like one episode. All right. Don't trust me for my full recollection of a show that where I saw a couple of episodes one time, but they made an impression on me about what college life was like and about birth control and haircuts and everything somehow. So, okay. So there's like the story of Felicity gets even crazier. Okay. Cause as I'm like on the Wikipedia in 1999, a publicly hyped young writer for the show, Riley Weston was disclosed as a fraud for claiming to be much younger than she truly was. At the age of 32, she began marketing herself to television studios as a recent high school graduate, passing off her husband as her older brother. Oh my God. She was soon hired by the WB as a writer for Felicity, hailed as a child prodigy and a wonderkin. She was featured on Entertainment Weekly's October 1998 list of the 100 most creative people in entertainment, which described her as an up and coming 19 year old. Shortly thereafter, she was offered a six figure screenwriting deal with Disney. But when the Entertainment Tonight began working on the segment, they discovered her real age and identity. So her contract with WB expired and was not renewed, and her deal with Disney fell through. The story sparked much discussion about age bias in entertainment. Mm -hmm. Weston herself was quoted as asking, if I were getting a job in any other industry, do you think anyone would care how old I was? Yeah, I mean, she has a point. It's it's not like she was lying so that she could, like, date teenagers. (laughs) But still, but lying that your husband is your brother. Why not just say he's your boyfriend? Uh, this is some serious. But if he's, if she's nineteen and her husband, like, because she's is in her, also he's 32. like forty-five and looks his age. Okay. Yeah, and okay. she's thirty-two and doesn't look her age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. So that that yeah, like he wouldn't. That would be that would be extra skeevy if mm-hmm. if it was like that. That would be a whole other thing, mm-hmm. but. The yeah. the line that your husband is actually is your brother to other people that's uh that's what the Stapletons do in the Hound of the Baskervilles yeah that's what it always reminds me of and like the 
Sir Henry Baskerville, the young lord of the manor whose predecessor has died mysteriously from fright, is flirting with her. And then her brother flies into a rage about it. And everyone's like, chill, dude. It's your sister. She's single. And it's because it's it's my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, but leaving behind Felicity and Carrie Russell, let's talk about Giles's grown-up thing. Yes, let's (laughs) let's get back to (laughs) the reason we are here. Yeah, it turns out that grown-up thing is an open mic night, and we are treated to Giles singing. Which why does every episode not include a Giles musical number? Because I there are plenty of opportunities for this to happen. Um, Giles with his earring in is singing behind blue eyes as the gang watches. Willow and Anya totally into it. (laughs) Tara is intrigued and Xander's kind of creeped out so much so that he would like to go back to the haunted house because that (laughs) was less scary. No! Oh, Xander. Willow says watching Giles reminds her of why she used to have such a crush on him. Because Willow is all of us in this moment, and she continues to be a bisexual queen. Because (laughs) look at that face. Yep. She is totally turned on by his singing, Mm -hmm. as is Anya. Willow even says it's sexy. And she also mentions about how she had a crush on him. Yeah. So now Willow is used to it. Yes. But she later repeatedly says it's sexy. So mm-hmm. maybe her feelings for him have changed to be of the more dad variety. But still, she cannot deny <laughs> what is undeniable. No, no one can deny that Giles is very, very sexy yes. sitting there singing. Look, Xander's probably a little into it and that scares him. That's why he's in such denial about it. <sighs> yeah. I just I love his look when he sees that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, shit. Yes, exactly. Because he's he's audible from the street. There's like a window into the street. So like people outside could hear him. And there was always a possibility they could have just been walking home from the party. Because as we know, Sunnydale is like an infinite loop where everything is still close to each other, no matter what. And uh, yeah, it's like he doesn't stop. He doesn't freak out or anything. He just keeps going. I wonder how many more songs he had to play before he had to go over to them. I'm like, come on, Giles, wrap it up quickly. But uh, yeah, are we going to talk about the song specifically? Um, We can. I did not pull up <laughs> anything on the song. Well, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a reason why they chose this one um, of like of all the songs he could have sung. It'd be very funny if it was One Night in Bangkok. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Yeah, yeah. That I'll, doesn't do that doesn't do well as an acoustic no. coffee shop. It would be super weird for Giles to start singing that. There's just no context whatsoever for it. Yeah, I, I do think this is like a relevant Gilesian song. Um, so apparently this Okay, it started in 1970. Pete Townshend wrote it. Uh, yeah. Following a performance, Townshend became tempted by a female groupie, but instead went back to his home to his room alone, possibly as the result of teachings of a spiritual leader, Mehar Baba. Um, upon reaching the room, he began writing a prayer, the first words being, when my fist clenches, crack it open. These words later appeared as lyrics in the, quote, climactic rocking section of Behind Blue Eyes. So we don't have to take this literally of like, it can only be about this of like, not boning, mm-hmm. but it is in an episode about people not being allowed Bone. to do yeah, yeah. of like having any sexual feelings whatsoever of Giles being cast as the repressed monk who 
can't get a girlfriend or doesn't even seem to want a girlfriend after poor Jenny dies, uh, who only has sex with Buffy's mother under the influence <laughs> of magic drugs, uh, who has an orgasm friend, but not a relationship that he needs somebody who could be able to stick around. So like he was given, I suppose, a choice between love and sex. And for a little while he chose sex and then it became, well, I guess he could have said like, I'll go with you if Olivia had done an ultimatum with them. She didn't seem to, she seems to know how important it is these days here. Mm-hmm. But again, he's choosing to be alone to be in Sunnydale. Everybody else is paired off except for him. He has nothing else going on <laughs> in his life. Um, so yeah, so the, the song became part of like a, an aborted album. There was going to be like a story behind it and everything like, a you know, the wall or something like that. Uh, and instead it's just kind of independent. So there's like the villain of this story was going to be the per like the perspective of this song of Jumbo. The fact that he felt in the original story that he was forced into a position of being a villain, whereas he felt he was a good guy, according to Townsend. And, um, yes, like if we look at the lyrics, obviously Giles has very beautiful green eyes that we all appreciate. Um, but the, the, all the things about like, I quoted this earlier about him and Wesley, that nobody knows what it's like to be the bad guy, to be the sad guy Mm -hmm. and to be hated and to be faded. And sometimes Giles and Wesley and any other watcher, they have to make tough decisions, the things that they have to do things that other people shouldn't have to. They are willing to not be heroes in order to get the job done to save the rest of humanity. They will not be acknowledged. They will not be seen as heroes by other people or by themselves. And sometimes the things they do are going to push people away and say like, how dare you? That was too mean. That was too cruel. That was too callous. But somebody has to do it. Mm -hmm. And I just love how relevant that song is for him. Yeah. Notably, he's not the one playing the guitar, actually. Like, he's playing it in the scene, but, like, it's him singing. Obviously, it's been recorded yeah. in advance. But the, so- the the guitar playing is by someone called John King. And he does play guitar in um, uh, in the Yoko Factor. And um, he mentions it in Once More with Feeling. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about, like, he suddenly started playing the guitar in his hotel room. And that's very interesting that he brought back the guitar as someone who has just flown into Heathrow recently and had to go through that nightmare of walking through that airport. I cannot imagine having to pick up a guitar from like <laughs> oversized baggage yeah. or like asking to take it on the plane with me as a carry on and just not have it break everything. So I really think he was intending to stay full time in Sunnydale when he mm-hmm. got back that first yeah. time and flooded. Lowell House is now deserted, except for Buffy, Riley, and the vines that are now spreading all over the upper floor. As they stop to take a breather, Buffy says Riley is too far away and that she needs him close to her. Now. In the (laughs) campus library, the gang looks into the history of Lowell House while Giles questions them on Buffy and Riley. They didn't answer? Did they not hear? Maybe. Or maybe they were just too busy doing it. Doing what? Xander looks at him. (laughs) For a guy that lives to rock... He's a little naive. (laughs) Giles didn't think they meant that. In the middle of everything going on, do they really think that they were able to keep it up? (laughs) Bad phrasing. (laughs) Seriously, one of my favorite jokes in the whole show. Mm -hmm. Oh, for a different phrasing. In the midst of all that, do you really think they were keeping it up? Are we not doing phrasing anymore? Yeah. 
Willow says that's just it, though. All over the party, people were starting to act strange. Strange how? Sexually? <laughs> Giles says it could be a succubi. A satiric prank. Energy from the lab below Lowell fraternity. Willow says it wasn't always a fraternity. According to an article she found, from the 40s to the 60s, it was a youth home. Runaways, delinquents, emotionally unstable kids, all from the Sunnydale area. Tara asks if any of the kids died there, because if they did, well, that makes this a fairly standard haunting. Willow says it doesn't say. Mostly the article talks about the old director, Genevieve Holt. Well, when did she die? (laughs) She didn't. And so the gang goes to pay Genevieve a visit. Or Giles, Xander, and Anya do. Seems she was just at morning prayer, but she doesn't mind chatting with them for a bit. She loves talking about her kids. She still calls them that, her kids. Giles says she must have been like a mother to them. Oh, she was. She fed them, clothed them, taught them the lessons of the Lord. She got a medal. Giles congratulates her and then asks if anything odd ever happened in the house. Odd? You know, furniture moving of its own accord, objects appearing out of nowhere, people appearing. She says that sounds like crazy talk, and Giles agrees, it does. The children, were any of them ever ill? They had the flu, but none of them ever died. Her medal says how good she was with them. (laughs) She treated them like they were their own, giving them hugs and praise when they were good, and disciplining them when they were dirty. And there it is. There it is. She doesn't say bad. She doesn't say naughty. She says dirty. Dirty. Yep. Giles does the whole children will be children thing, but (laughs) Anya catches on. She wasn't talking about mud and grime. Genevieve says she thought they didn't know, but she did. Without her, they would have been shut out of the kingdom, lost to lust. So she helped them. The girls felt it more than the boys. The vanity, she'd see them preening in front of the mirror, admiring their hair, and so she'd hack it off. She removed the temptation. Gave them nothing to admire. We're going to talk about this later because this whole episode has very, very strong VC Andrews vibes. Oh, yeah. But like this here, this sealed it for me. And I was, I looked for it and I couldn't find it. But I was like 99.9% sure that like Flowers in the Attic had to be an inspiration for this episode. Yeah. What about the bathtub? Something happened there. Genevieve says she performed baptisms on the most impure. She held them under. They had to be reborn. They dare pass judgment on her. Someone has to. (laughs) She traumatized and abused those children. No doubt made them severely damaged adults. And furthermore, what she did in that house is manifesting itself and endangering more lives. She has a great deal to answer for. Yeah, go Giles. Don't, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Because he's, he is somebody who has been a positive role model. Mm Mm-hmm. For a group of children. You know, he he doesn't have any biological children of his own, but he has been responsible and he has been he's been tough on them, but not in ways that this crazy old religious yeah. bitch has been tough on them when they've endangered other people. Exactly. When they yeah. endangered and, and, themselves and endangered themselves. Yeah, yeah. but not. I mean, if he punished if he punished these kids anytime they had sexual thoughts. <laughs> That'd be all Giles would do with his day. Yeah. (laughs) All he would do with his day. He'd have no time to do anything else. No. No. I I just, I love how angry, how outraged he is. He's Mm -hmm. so disgusted. He almost never reacts like this. Um, uh, it, It does remind me of the episode Nightmares, where he doesn't really say anything to that coach who 
put little Billy in a coma. Yeah. Um, but like this just very cold look on his face that we're not used to seeing at this point in the series when he stops the coach from running out of the room mm-hmm. when Buffy figures out what he's done and the little boy is going to wake up and tell everybody that yeah. like Giles would be willing to just beat him d- into the ground to stop him from leaving. So he'll face the consequences. Yeah. And you see like you see like I like when you get to see that side of Giles where mm-hmm. he gets angry protective and he's yeah. he's angry that innocent children mm-hmm. were harmed yeah. by somebody that's why like sometimes there i've seen arguments and i thought of myself like why doesn't giles intervene with xander's parents and the thing is that like we don't really know how much giles knows because almost mm-hmm. any time that xander brings up his parents and how neglectful they are and how they're drunks um, sometimes it's like Cordelia throwing it in his face, mm-hmm. but Giles is not there. He, they might all be in the library, but Giles is like in his office. He's up in one of the shelves. He's like got his nose in a book and he's able to hyper-focus on it. He's not part of the conversation. Yeah. Like Willow knows everything. She's known Xander mm-hmm. since they were toddlers and Buffy picks up on things here and there. But like Cordelia only knew about the reason he has his Christmas sleepover to escape his family's drunken fights. He told her that in confidence. Mm-hmm. Xander has not told Giles that. And I think that before Xander left high school, if Giles had known, I think he probably would have done something. We see how he reacts here, how he re- reacted about mm-hmm. Billy. Like with Willow, there's nothing you could really do to like make her parents pay more attention. Because in Giles's mind, Willow's doing fine. Her parents yeah. are fools for not appreciating her. Uh, they, they'll live to regret it if they give a shit at all. But, like, he thinks Willow's going to be okay. Xander, he gets annoyed by him sometimes. Like, they'll make jokes at the exact wrong moment when they need seriousness. Some of his humor is counterproductive, frankly. Uh, he needs him to focus. And in Giles's day, he would have gotten, like, a spanking or the strap on the hand or something like that. So, like, Giles would have grown up. Not necessarily an environment like as bad as this. Mm-hmm. You know, again, he doesn't seem to have like the same sexual issues, but like those kids are of the same generation as him. He would know people like that at school. He knows what it's like growing up with the watchers hovering over him, telling him what to do. You can't do whatever it is you want with your life. It's not necessarily a sexual kind of abuse that way, but it is like you have to be this way. We're going to mm-hmm. shake you like at a, uh, in some kind of, I don't know, brace or something like that in order to not do what you want to do. So like those kids getting their hands tied down so they won't masturbate. I mean, he's left-handed too. I think about that. I've got a friend. She's 36 years old. She's from China. She was born left-handed. She had to be corrected. She Mm -hmm. says she's fine. All right, I'll believe her, but I'm waiting for something to come out as a left-handed person here. Yeah, I know. I like, I know, um, Like I had, I knew somebody that I worked with who went to Catholic school here and it was Catholic Catholic school back in the seventies. Yeah. And it was, yeah, you couldn't use your left hand to write. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy. Yeah. Like for uh, Giles's rebellion Mm -hmm. in the seventies, it would be also like a sexual thing because we've talked before about like the queer subtext with him that we think Mm -hmm. he's been, you know, we're lovers and, uh, that probably that was not approved of, or at least like, don't talk about it. There's things that certain upper to upper middle class British parents don't want to know about. And he wanted to be honest. And as I said, Sandra and Anya, they're the ones being honest about things. 
They're mm-hmm. talking about stuff. They're not repressing it. They're not hiding from their problems by just boning the way that Buffy and Riley are. And they're the ones not affected by it. And I think that if Giles went in that house too, even though everybody making jokes about like, ha ha, Mr. No sex, he probably would be fine as well because he's the one, he's the character with the most of his shit together. He's like, he knows himself. If he really wanted to, he could potentially like ask a woman out, but he's got other stuff going on. Yeah. Genevieve says, how dare they, when she can smell the sin on all of them. Oh yeah. Well, Xander tells her she who smelt it dealt it. (laughs) What? It's what Giles said, but faster. Yeah. Kind of like before, when Xander would boil things down to its simplest form. Mm-hmm. I like a good pattern of behavior. As they exit Genevieve's apartment, Xander says this just adds to his old people are crazy theory. Anya agrees what she did was awful, but if none of the kids died, where are the ghosts coming from? Giles doesn't think there are ghosts, but one ran right through her. Not a ghost, an apparition, a poltergeist of sorts. Sir, those are ghosts. <laughs> Like you're stretching it here, buddy. He he's being um, very he's being very pedantic. No, I I remember reading about poltergeists like around the time the episode came out. Like I loved the movie Poltergeist, and um, like I thought I was experiencing one at this house we would vacation in at Martha's Vineyard every year. That suddenly there was there was like renovations on it, and the house seemed to change in certain ways of like certain electronics going on and certain noises and. You know, a lot of it happened when my parents were out. So we just kind of like fed on each other's fears that way and hyping each other up. But the point is that some of the, some poltergeists are supposed to manifest around like when kids are hitting puberty and angsty and acting out and that like the poltergeist isn't necessarily a dead person, but it is a manifestation of them and like the kids, the living children, their psychic energy that can't find a way to escape somehow so it doesn't have to actually be a dead person and and i hope that the follow-up to this episode besides i was going to call her mrs langham from the west wing but that's not her name (laughs) Uh, (laughs) genevieve uh that she'll get arrested and that giles goes like tracks down some of the living people who were in this place so they can testify against her yes so okay so here's here's what people say about poltergeists so Poltergeist is absolutely not the right word to be using for this episode. I don't know what would be. Poltergeist. In- yeah, poltergeist. Sorry. Tired. <laughs> um, in ghost lore, a poltergeist is a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbance, such as loud noises, objects being moved or destroyed. Most claims are fictional descriptions of poltergeist show them as being capable of pinching, biting, hitting, tripping people. They are also depicted as capable of movement or levitation of such objects, such as furniture and cutlery, or noises such as knocking on doors. Foul smells are also associated with poltergeist occurrences, as well as spontaneous fires and different electrical issues, such as flickering lights. They have traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person Mm. instead of a specific location. Some variation of poltergeist folklore is found in many different cultures. Early claims of spirits supposedly harass and torment their victims date back to the first century. But going what you were talking about with like the puberty, there are some people who believe that like poltergeist activity are actually occurrences of psychokinesis. Yeah. Like there was never a spirit. It was 
psychic energy from these kids that are generating. But again, the child would have to be alive and in the house yeah. for that to be happening. So mm-hmm. like poltergeist is exact, like the absolute wrong word. I don't know. Like I said, don't know what the right word would be to use. But maybe yeah, there's just do better. There's just some sort of residual energy in this house from everything that happened. Maybe they should have come up with like a different term altogether because they come up yeah. with like, demons all the time. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of time, a lot of times when they're talking about like specific phenomena, they use words that are already known. Yeah. So that people know, like people, people will latch on to it again. It's like using, you know, Wicca. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So then Buffy and Riley and their bunny hood unlocked it. That's like energy that's been pent up in the house. Something like that. And now it's feeding off of them, using them as a battery. So what happens when the battery runs dry? They die. Okay. Again, they cannot be the first people that have ever gone at it like bunnies in this house. Two, this is why I do not visit prisons, orphanages, or hospitals. It's not the ghosts. I have no desire to run into them either. It is the emotional residue left in those places. It puts me out of sort for days. Fair enough. And three, if Buffy can't handle Riley stopping being away from her, just there has to be chafing going on. And that (laughs) seems so unpleasant. And that's all I could think about at this point Uh, in the episode. Yeah. Especially because the next time we see Buffy, her lips are looking a little chapped and dry. Yeah. Yeah, This. this that they have to hurt the next day. There's no signs of them being in any pain the next morning. No. And I'm like, no, no. They would both be having trouble walking, if nothing else. No, there's, there was... there was the Slayer. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that, that I can think of, is because she's a Slayer, and he's also this big, you know, buff army dude. And the supplies of lube? I no, mean, we luckily, we, we, we did see... We did see, we did see the uh, the drawer with the condoms and stuff. We so. do, we do see the that. Condoms. I'm like, I I was very glad to see, yeah, the actual reaching for a condom in, yeah. like, because a lot of times, like, you assume mm-hmm. that we're being we're being safe, but it was yeah. very nice to see the product placement of mm-hmm. the condoms in his product drawers. Placement. Yeah. Also, no, it was, uh, it was it was actually a product. There, they were Durex condoms in the drawer, so they had the the product placement there. Also, before we go on, Mrs. Holt was played by Catherine Justin. She's an amazing actress. Uh, sadly, no longer with us. Passed away in 2012 from lung cancer. Though she's been on many many things, uh, she is probably best remembered for two roles: one as President Bartlett's secretary. Yep. on the West Wing, and two as Mrs. McCluskey on Desperate Housewives, and that role won her an Emmy. Mm-hmm. In Buffy and Willow's room, and check that Willow's mirror is covered while Buffy's isn't. Yep. Going along with the fact Tara's mirror was covered, so is Willow's. But Buffy's is not. So again, might be a practicality of hiding crew members, might be a witch thing, not sure. Tara, Willow, and Giles prepare to hold a seance, call upon the spirits and their energy. Xander and Anya grab some weapons, like a giant-ass machete, and head back to the house. As they wait outside, Xander pressed against the glass. Uh, no, no, no. Anya pressed against the glass. Xander asks her how she feels. Sad, afraid of being without him, and a little hungry. He meant about the house. <laughs> oh... Still haunted, back in the dorm, the seance begins, the three reaching out to hold each other's hands and form a circle. Tara cries out to the children of Lowell, the spirits of the past, asking them to come forth. As Giles asks how they'll know when it works, said children's turn appearing all around them. 
and the door swings open for Xander and Anya. Anya, who's holding an axe. Xander says the house is clean, and Anya says they should go in. Xander first. (laughs) The vines are everywhere now, down the stairs, and Xander says they need to work fast. Who knows when the munchkins will get homesick, or the battery will run out. Telling Anya to watch her fingers, he starts hacking, while Tara implores the children to be still, and Giles asks them to allow their friend's passage. Willow tells them to release their past and, you know, get over it. (laughs) Xander and Anya are making their way through, hacking at vines and branches. They reach Riley's door, and as Xander takes hold of the doorknob, a wind starts blowing through the house and through the dorm. Over it, Tara yells to be heard, telling the children to find the serenity they seek, the peace they... The wind blows the table over and the connection is broken. Giles asks what happened and Tara says they lost them, which makes Willow Willow realize Xander may be in a whole lot of danger as he is pulled back from the door, locked in the bathroom and forced into the tub, held under. Anya tries to go to him, but she's thrown from the upstairs balcony. As he struggles... Xander looks up and sees the kids through the water looking down at him. Getting to her feet, Anya once again heads up the stairs. She hears the wails of the children and tells them to shut up, (laughs) calling them depressed crybabies. Repressed repressed crybabies. Oh, is it repressed? Yeah, it's repressed. Okay. That's a little bit better. I was about to be like, Anya! Yeah, they deserve to be (laughs) depressed. Yeah, like you're attacking the wrong place and people kids you should be going after genevieve yeah her retirement home maybe there's like some ward up on it that doesn't let them in yeah go haunt genevieve yeah a vine shoots through her hand piercing it and she rips it out now pissed she makes it to the bathroom and pulls xander out of the tub telling him it's okay as they head back into the hall they see more vines have grown but say they just need to make it through As they do, the vines attack, almost hitting Xander in the eye. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Little pattern we'll see continue. (laughs) Whipping at Anya, but together they make it through and force Riley's door open. That breaks their little sex planet spell, and the two turn (laughs) to look at them. Buffy asking Xander if he ever thinks to knock. (laughs) Just over it. Xander and Anya walk away without saying anything. (laughs) Um, visual narratives, fiction, TV, movies, I am begging you, please stop having characters get impaled through the hand and be totally fine with it. Especially when it's like a broad impaling instrument, like that big vine that goes straight Mm -hmm. through Anya's hand. And she does scream, but then she rips it out instead of like chopping it into smaller pieces and having a doctor do it and just moves on. Like she's got to move on. She's got to save Xander. I get it. But it just happens all the time where, like, somebody will, like, have their hand down on a table and someone comes over with a big old knife, stabs it through to, like, pin them in place. And they manage to, like, eventually lift the hand up along the knife and then pull the knife, like, out of the table. And they're oh. okay. Oh. Or there's, like, a nail through the hand. Jesus I hate style. that. Uh, I do hate all that, though. Yeah. I just, I want... I want there to be some acknowledgement that there will be months, possibly years of physiotherapy. (laughs) I think I've mentioned this before, but I broke my thumb in September and it still hurts to lift light things with it sometimes. I, 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 (laughs) yeah, I was in, I was in a car accident probably almost four years ago. Yeah. And that knee was, was fucked up. And it's still like, I still have like a spot on my knee that Mm -hmm. I have no feeling in. 
yeah, that's a load-bearing joint. Yeah. And these impaling things, they're so broad that they would push apart, if you're lucky, the metacarpals, that's the bones that lead to your phalanges, your fingers. And if you're not lucky, it will break all of them. And to make room for this wide implement stabbing through your hand, there's just no quick recovery from it. I need to see a bandage <laughs> on Anya's hand for the rest of the season, and we don't get it. Unless the injury disappears when the haunting does. No, because Xander has that scratch in his eye the He next still has day. a scratch, yep. Oh, well. Yeah. I know, I thought of it too. I thought of it too, Mary. No. It's a kind of magic. The next morning, the gang is having breakfast. Buffy and Riley, unable to believe they missed all that. And by that, they mean Giles is singing. Xander <laughs> says it was more crooning and tells Anya that if they grow old together, to remind him to skip the midlife crisis. Xander, you're jealous you don't have groupies like Giles does. They join hands and she says, okay. Willow reiterates that it was kind of sexy because <laughs> she's bi. Mm-hmm. And Xander begs her to stop saying that. He'll even <laughs> offer cash incentives. Riley's just glad no one got hurt. No thanks to them. Willow tells them not to blame themselves, but Buffy says he's right. If they weren't so wrapped up in each other, literally, <laughs> then none of it would have happened. Anya agrees. It's true. And they should feel shamed. Xander says his girlfriend is the mistress of the learning plateau. <laughs> really though, Willow says they were under the influence of powerful magics. And Buffy says she was like a zombie. She had no control over herself. Willow says it must have been awful. Uh-huh. Buffy and Riley look at each other. Totally awful. The end. Ay, ay, ay. A few things. Um, we already mentioned earlier that Sarah was off filming Sanctuary, and that's why she was kind of moved to the background. Um, several elements of the Lowell House haunting were actually taken from the 1980 movie The Changeling. Um, it's mm-hmm. a classic... Yes. haunted house story about a couple who moves into a house haunted by a small boy but you have the whole like the ghost appearing in the bathtub the house shaking people being thrown from upper story balconies like visually literally just taken from there um but like one i thing, said earlier yes sorry one thing uh it's not a couple it's just george c scott he is going to move He's got a wife and a daughter, and the first scene of the movie, they are killed in a horrible car accident. So that's that's why he's alone. <laughs> and, uh, oh. It's a Canadian movie filmed in Canada. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's really good. As you said, the other thing is like it's a disabled boy who was murdered. So it really is a ghost in that case. And uh, yeah, it's very like low key. You know, the scariest thing happening in it is like a ball slowly bouncing down the stairs or like a creepy child. <laughs> That's a very famous Yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so like slow burn, very interesting, very adult kind of horror movie. Um, yeah, no, the, the, like the ball going down the stairs. That's a, that's a very, yeah. very famous shot. Yeah. Um, but Please like I said earlier, anyone? <laughs> no. Um, honestly, I just, I got more of a VC Andrews, uh, vibe from this episode, especially Mm -hmm. like I said, flowers in the attic. I'm not going to go into the whole thing here. VC Andrew novels as a whole are very fucked up. Yeah. Very Southern Gothic, hoary, decrepit mansion, family secrets. I can't believe I was allowed to read those novels when I read those novels. Did you? My mom mom gave them to me. Oh, wow. Like knew then. My mom knew like yeah, I I I don't know I don't know why. I really don't. A lot of um, us, like a lot of us of our age read these novels 
way sooner than we we should have and it explains a lot about who we are <laughs> as people yeah but the the whole thing specifically with flowers in the attic is you have the grandmother who is obsessed with religion and purity and not being sinful who grills the children on their righteousness who punishes their mother physically in front of them for being wicked in the past who demands the eldest daughter kathy cut her hair saying it's a vanity and when kathy refuses she puts tar in it so that it has to be cut like, if Foxworth Hall was haunted, this is the type of haunted it would be. Yeah. And, well, especially so, since the children are being poisoned in yeah, Flowers yeah. in the Attic. Yeah, they're being poisoned. Because and, and one of them, one of them dies. Yes. Well, and then later another one dies, but that's totally different. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, no, like, all her books are really fucked up. Um, Flowers in the Attic is probably the most famous series. It's been made into a movie at least twice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lifetime did the whole Dollaganger series. So they did all the ones that follow. And I even think did Gardens of Shadow, mm-hmm. which is like the origin story that was not written by V.C. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. And goes back and like fucks up things even more than they were fucked up because like also trigger warning all of her books oh. have to do with incest. Oh, like, yeah. Literally yeah. every single book. But in the Flowers in the Attic is set up that the mother married her half uncle. Well, then you get to the origin story and you find out that no, 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 it's also secretly her half brother. Yeah. Because like the dad, R word, the like new his new stepmom, and then like they pass the kid. It's it gets it gets even weirder than you thought it could get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never read these books. I know of them because Jezebel, when it was a different website back in the day, yeah, uh, it, it had a series called a uh, shelf pleasure. And it was about yeah. like the books we grew up on, meaning like Gen X and millennial women. And there was a lot about these books that I'd never heard of before that were not available in my school library. That's for sure. That apparently all these people had read. And there's a series of them about this, blonde family with deep dark secrets mostly involving inappropriate it relative yeah um so i was like well i'm glad i dodged that bullet yeah there is one of my one of my favorite book reviews is one that somebody did for my sweet audrina Mm -hmm. which my sweet audrina is even more yeah bonkers yeah, then. a lot of these books that were they were going over, it wasn't necessarily like saying like these were great books and they still are. A lot of them were involving like grown men having sex with teenagers and yeah. being portrayed as romantic, not as like the summer I realized I was being abused. Yeah. Or um like uh some kind of weird thing like that about ghosts having sex with people as well. Speaking of Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, not not all of them sounded like something I wanted to read. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I don't know how so many of of us elder millennials ended up with VC <laughs> Andrews books. I, I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. they'd be sold in like young adult sections. Yeah. And they all had like the the like best covers, especially oh, the in the covers 90s. Were amazing. They, 
They all had those like cutaway covers where you would just see like the house in a window and then you'd open it and it'd be this like terrifying like picture. Like I until like I saw because I don't I don't think I ever read them. I now want to read the Landry series because that takes place in New Orleans and like out in the bio, which I think Lifetime also made that into a movie. So I may just lay around and watch that today. Um, but I, I saw the original movie, which Buffy connection, Christy Swanson plays Kathy. Yep. Yep. Um, so I saw the original movie, but I had never read Flowers in the Attic. So seeing those covers in like B. Dalton in the nineties, I assumed all these books were horror novels (laughs) because they're all very terrifying looking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they are gothic horror, but they're not like haunting Horror. horror. Yeah. Yeah. Fall of the House of Usher, gothic horror, not actual ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. No, really fucked up. Like, if you ever want to know, like, why a lot of women our age are the way they are, go go read a couple of V.C. Andrews novels. <laughs> just look at the, just read the, just read the, pick them up and read the description. Flip mm-hmm. through and, and just read a passage and put it back and go, nope. Yeah. Hmm. All right. <laughs> That's it for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Caroline, for joining us from thank across you. the pond. You're welcome. Um, make sure to join us next time when we take on season four, episode 19, New Moon Rising. Um, we're all going to get a little bit of heartbreak next yep. week. Yep. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye! Bye.